welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast or Full Tilt Dynasty Podcast or the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast, uh, wherever you are listening to this, for this Dynasty Mailbag episode. Uh, I'm joined today by Davis Maddock and Jacob Sanderson. We have been working on Dynasty Rankings, uh, a collaborative project for our various uh, sites and uh, and duties, and we are... We are uh, Today, re-establishing this podcast series to go through some of the questions that you've asked us uh, on Twitter, in our Discord, however you got the questions to us. I've got them kind of curated a little bit by topic, and we'll go through some of these Dynasty questions. But how are you guys doing? Doing good. Great. Yeah, really looking forward to it. All the answers will probably be really concise. You know, I would imagine we probably get through like 15, 20 questions. Like definitely no chance we get to the second question and spend 45 minutes going around and around on one question. So scheduling this when Pat had a hard out was a pretty big mistake. But then again, it's been like three weeks. I've had like people in my comments because I posted like Dynasty mailbag incoming like a month ago. To fetch questions and people were like is this ever happening like did i miss it it's happening it's here it's in your ears not only that because i did the same thing in my discord multiple times like okay the mailbag's coming um but then i was on youtube looking for our tight end episode because we we've gone around luckily we've gone around and around on some of these topics already so i got like a yes. question about like tight end strategy and i just like we answered this thoroughly <laughs> like just check out our tight end episode uh but I went, so I was looking for that episode on YouTube and um, saw a Dynasty mailbag that the three of us did. I was like, am I losing my mind? <laughs> like, it's like, oh, yeah, we did a Dynasty mailbag around the draft. Yeah, <laughs> so, yes, I am. the answer was yes, I am losing my mind. We've already done this once, but we're doing it again, kind of post-rankings edition. Beautiful. All right. I'll dive into it here with uh, the first kind of overall topic that I got um, that, you know, I've, I've kind of sorted these into contending versus rebuilding the simplest question we got on this was how do you know when to turn a high value uh, high value rebuilding roster into a contender um but we got quite a few questions on this general topic i guess before we dive into some of the more specific ones just thoughts on like feeling out that transition most people will have it you know you're going from the rebuild to the contending roster how do you guys feel that out I mean, I think the easiest way to do this is look at the two teams that were in the championship of your league the year before and then rate their ability, like how strong are they going to be year over year? And also how many teams in your leagues are contending. This is something Jacob has mentioned a lot, but like what, and actually this is a huge talking point that Sean does in his dynasty stuff, which is like, Getting to the playoffs is is like much more than half of the battle, you know, because mm-hmm. fantasy football playoffs are very bizarre. So, Corrine, for example, you and I are in one league that is crazy top heavy. There, there's there for the last two years, there's been three teams that were trying, and then a bunch of tanking or middle. And teams, teams are actively tanking. Like teams are going from previously contending to like getting out of the way. They're like, I'm not in it anymore. Right. I want to go to the bottom. Let's go to the bottom. So it's a it's like the the teams that aren't in it are also are still all very active. And, yeah, and you'll find this, I think, in like in leagues that have existed for a while, they get far more stratified where there becomes a couple teams that are just awesome and they're awesome every year because they just crush some trades and they have tons of value. There's some teams that are just destitute and they're just slowly marching towards orphanhood. 
And then of the rest of the teams, like some of them are the low value contenders that are all in and the other ones are all out and tanking. And yeah, you end up with like four or five teams that are trying to win every year. So I think, I think that's a very easy way to do it. Um, I also think that if you just pay attention to um, who sort of the unicorns from the year before are, I, I think that swings dynasty so heavily. So like, for example, are you in a league where the a guy took Jalen Hurts in the second round of the rookie Superflex draft and also mm-hmm. got Amon Ross St. Brown as a fourth round wide receiver or whatever? Like, I think paying attention to those guys who have huge value spikes year over year and where they're concentrated on rosters is pretty helpful. Or, I mean, in a lot of the leagues that we all play in are all tight end premium, example being the Kelsey team in your tight end premium league probably pretty fucking good team, right? That team probably (laughs) was in the championship, probably was pretty close to it. That team needs to be seriously thinking about what it is going to do when Kelsey retires, becomes more like a Jason Witten level of production. Like who, and maybe Travis Kelsey will be a tight end one for three more years. I mean, honestly, we don't know, but bring conscious of the high point scores who are towards the back at, I mean, we talk about the, um, we, we talked about the bell curve, you know, but if you did them all individually, they actually all would have been, you know, black flag events where they went to zero very quickly. And like, are those concentrated on one roster? You know, like is Aaron Rodgers, Devonte Adams, Cooper cup and, and Travis Kelsey all on one roster, mm. you know, something like that. Like, I, I think that's a great way to do it. Also, that'd be like a um, reason to, to maybe be more aggressive and try to go in a little bit. Cause you're like, so that, that is like, what be a paper tiger. That is, that is what you and I did in this league. We both realized like the teams that were contending year over year were pretty fragile. They were completely out of picks. So you and I both started to try and win at the same time. There's another league that I'm in with a similar group of people. I don't think you are in this one where Michael Leone has one of the most preposterous 30 man best ball dynasty rosters I have ever seen. It is fully unbeatable. I made some small buy now moves to make the playoffs last year. And then this off season, I immediately reversed them. I, I sold all them off because it, I, I, it was trying to advance the time frame too quickly. Well, yeah. you, you make a good point at the end too there, where I do think uh, most of my advice is focused on managed honesty leagues, but best ball brings up a great point. There's just less variance. Like if you have a really dominant roster in a best ball yeah. format, it's a lot harder to beat that dominant roster than in a managed format where like if you have managed format, like you, you can, if you have a super dominant team, you can reliably get, you know, a buy even most of the time. And you can be in the playoffs every single year, but like any given Sunday, you know, if you had Justin Jefferson as part of your dominant roster, like you probably lost in the finals because he had like more right. catch. Right. And in a best ball, but in a best ball league, like if you can allocate your value such that 10 deep into your bench is still, you know, like Christian yeah. Kirk like all of a sudden you do become a lot more unbeatable. My general rule of thumb, and I would co-sign all the contacts that Davis just gave for a league to league determination, is that if you can be in the top three to four of your league in value, though, or what I call in my columns, buying power, is in like the currency that you have to spend, the value that's stored on your team in the context of the market. You can be top three to four in buying power and be a competitive team you just always should be like i think that if you're if you have a team that has the capacity to be competitive and high value but you're choosing instead to tank 
you're probably donating more expected value in the short term than you're going to gain back in the long term because you're never able to have a team in a managed dynasty league that is a favorite versus the field. It's, it's just not very possible. Like I mentioned on a previous podcast, higher seeds win 56% of the time because the higher seeds aren't always the best team and the best team doesn't always win in a one-week matchup. So generally speaking, like if you're in a position where theoretically you can just continue to contend every year, that's the best possible way to accrue expected value. You're just going to have a little bit above the expected value of the field every single year. And that's a better path than making these wild swings between 0% EV and then hoping to make it up in future years. So the question is, if you're sitting there and say you have, you know, whether you have your own system, whether you're looking at like a keep trade cut power ranking, whether you're just kind of going and charting next to ADP, do you think you're like third in the league in value, but you have a really young team that's coming off a tank year? What I would do is just start to explore like, okay, to turn this into a contender, how much value am I losing? Like if you can make value- That's really good field, advice. Like actually try and propose some trades and just see what is out there. Like if, if you do have this young roster with some surplus value, like just be like, is there a team, is there a team that's trying that, that was contending that has decided they're over the hill and you're actually probably going to get like a discount. Like this happens in a lot of my leagues managed and best ball where a team will sort of be on the edge of contending and they'll decide, you know what? let's just get rid of these guys. And so, you know, they're like, they're packaging guys together. You're getting David Montgomery mm-hmm. and Alvin Kamara for a third, just because they don't want them on the roster anymore. Like, I think that is really good advice is just to see like, is there someone out there you could persuade to go into a selling mode? And I think that there's generally a benefit to being, to positioning yourself flexibly early in the season, right? Like I think it's, it's generally to your detriment to be locked into being all in or locked into tanking early in the season. If you have the value to play it both ways, like I would rather have like a team where it's like, Oh, you know, I can see things breaking my way because you never know. Right. Like what if you had Geno Smith on your bench last year who you picked up off waivers and he was nothing. I traded Geno Smith and... for Tylen Wallace in a league. So oh, no. oh. Well, shout out <laughs> Tylen Wallace. I really liked him as a prospect. But... Shout out, shout out Sean, Sean Siegel for getting one shout of out Sean Siegel. the 97th oh, consecutive man. year. Yeah. Uh, there, there's there, there was a time when I was playing Dynasty where if I got a trade offer from Sean Siegel, I would be like, auto decline. You know, you're getting, you know, you're getting yeah, sold on goods. This looks good. <laughs> this looks like I should smash accept, and I it's a trap. But it's I have to trap. figure out how it's a trap. <laughs> the Admiral Akbar of Dynasty. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would just say like you want to be in a spot to benefit from your own good luck, right? Like if you then have Gino and it's like, oh. I have a quarterback too that I didn't even envision, right? Like now maybe I can contend, but if you've like sold off all of your assets and you start own three, it's, it's too late for you. So it's not that hard to tear down your team really fast. If you're active, that's the other thing too. Like I've had, I have plenty of teams. What I do, this is maybe going way into the weeds, but I literally have a spreadsheet. This is, this is really where, where Pete would call me a, a virgin on stream. I have a spreadsheet where I categorize each of my teams um and it's either dynasty tier which is like this team is just loaded and it's going to be loaded forever um favorite so better than 50 percent chance of getting a buy irrespective of its long-term value contender again irrespective of long-term value but likely to make the playoffs and has a reasonable chance to win against any playoff team and then i have tanks at the bottom which are like set up tanking all depreciating assets are sold and then in the middle of that i have tbd which is just kind of could go either way 
And the goal of the first couple months of the season is to get rid of the TBD tab. So just slowly mm -hmm. either move the TBDs into contenders or move them into tanks um, or, or into retools. And we just sort of steadily each week, I just review my sheet, I review the team, I look at where its value is, I look at where it is like in relation to the playoff standings. And I just sort of decide like, what are we gonna do? And if we're tanking, then we just try to sell off all the depreciable assets as soon as we can. Um, and and each team just systemically get rid of the TBDs, get rid of the TBDs. And ideally by week seven, week eight, we're in a spot where we've tanked early enough that we can get into those first couple draft picks in most leagues, or we're, we're trying to get our chip in a chair into the playoffs. I like that. That's, that's a really interesting way of doing it. Um, all right, here's a question. And this kind of goes to the general point here. At what point do you know to switch between rebuilding slash wildcard contending and wildcard contending slash really contending? And how do you go about it? When you're making the switch, is it better to sell stockpiled rookie picks for good assets? Or should you still prioritize holding on to them and selling the players still? I would say my thing on this is I, I lean the picks. I lean that I want to sell my future picks and put them into young players who are going to be appreciating in value and push. This is, this is something I, I learned from watching Sean Siegel do it and just being like I, super confused when I first started playing dynasty with him, because he would sell, we would get the new picks like the 2025 picks come in and he would sell them immediately. And then he'd win the league. And I'm just like, what, how is this, how, how is this working? But it's because he's putting the value into player into young players and you know if you're familiar with sean siegel stuff the guy loves young ascending players he's he, he goes out really quickly on veteran players even in redraft so not hard for him to kind of have this team built around a really young core if you have a team built like that that is putting up points i think it's okay to sell those future picks maybe even optimal to sell those future picks put the entire value of your overall potential into the current year so your net present value right you're, you're maximizing that um by having all the value score points for your roster but then you are maintaining some flexibility going forward i get really nervous if you're saying to me hey i'm gonna sell all my future picks to get cooper cup could get cooper i don't know cup about or that Devontae adams or derrick henry yeah. or what like then it's like or or like right now travis kelsey you'd probably have to trade a future first but you better feel future you probably plots. you better feel pretty fucking good that you're gonna win the league because that is an asset that goes off the shelf and you're it's basically over yeah. like you're yeah. that that asset turns into zero you, you're getting zero points back from that asset very soon. So I would probably take a slightly different approach than than Pat and what he's outlining with Sean. Um, I mean Sean is the goat in terms of like calls on which young players to invest in and which young players not to invest in. So I would never want to like challenge this corner. Um, I would say my approach is much more based around trying to be successful without having to be correct on player takes. Um, and that's probably because I'm not as good at player takes as Sean Siegel. Um, many aren't. Uh, I think it, it really is context dependent in terms of what I would sell, but uh, I have a concept that I've written about called the whole tax, which basically is the idea that, you know, each first that you have is more or less guaranteed to rise in value year to year, plus or minus the change in expectation for that team, right? If the team all of a sudden looks better than you'd expect, maybe it doesn't go up quite as much. If it looks a lot worse than you expect, it goes up even more than you regularly expect. And so, you know, 
anything that is guaranteed to go up in value must have an associated cost. And the associated cost on a pick is what I call the whole tax, which is essentially the, the tax to your roster by not being able to mobilize this asset in production in a given year. Hmm. And when you look at how much less does it cost, or like how much less can I buy with a 26 first and a 24 first? That is the whole tax showing up in terms of your trade negotiations. And so in terms of, are you willing to pay the whole tax, i.e. hold these picks? Well, it depends on what your objective is, right? Of course, if you're rebuilding, the whole tax means nothing to you because you're, you're not, Good. you're not even trying to win, right? Like you, the whole you're premium. Exactly. You're getting, you're getting tax-free value accrual in that situation. And if you're trying to contend, it depends on what your objective is. If I have a really high value team, I, I, I want to keep my future picks. Like I, I have, I don't need to mobilize that value. I have other ways to do it. I don't want to sacrifice assets that are basically guaranteed to rise in value. I would rather sacrifice almost anything else. But if I am trying to shoestring a team together, right, you might be more willing. And I think I would especially be more willing if I'm really set at the quarterback position. Like if I have, I have one team where I tank all the way out last year, I now wind up in a spot where I have Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, I'm not that worried about, you know, my quarterback future for at any point. So I'm a lot more willing to move my future picks because the other positions are a little bit more purchasable. If I'm rocking a team with like Matthew Stafford and Geno Smith, like your long-term quarterback future needs to be taken care of quickly. And the easiest way to do that is to make sure you have rookie picks in the background. Um, I would not want to be in a spot where I'm multiple vet quarterback and no rookie picks to backfill that position. Yeah, I think, you know, there was a question here about um, having trouble trading away some of these older wide receivers. Yeah. When is it not worth to sell stud wide receivers approaching risky ages? I always hear that you should sell them for good uh, rookie plus a good rookie plus a first. But in practice, I don't find people who will do this. This is where I'm first of all, I'm less aggressive about um, trading away all my future firsts and stuff compared to Sean. But I do like that tactic. And this, this, okay, I've got a Devontae Adams on my roster. What do I do? Question, I think, or even like a pre-Devontae Adams, maybe like a year younger. How do I reposition this? I've done this with DeAndre Hopkins when he was, I think, 28. Um, you take your first and you, your future first and you trade DeAndre Hopkins or, you know, a guy kind of approaching that, that window um, and you get into the current draft if there's targets that you like in that current draft. So you're drafting like literal rookies, you know, the draft, I did this in 2020. So I was going for like CD lamb, you know, unfortunately I was going for Jalen Rager. Sometimes I did, I did get some Justin Jefferson, you know, we, we, we hit more than we missed there, but obviously you're going to, it's going to be a little risky to, to go after rookies, uh, to some extent, but you're also going to have big, big wins. Um, but you're, you're taking that future value and you're using it to create flexibility with something you already want to do in some cases. Like I'm trying to get this asset that I know is declining and everyone else knows, knows is about to decline, but I'm pairing it with this thing. Everyone wants a future first and I'm moving my production from an at, from a declining asset to an ascending asset. Yeah. I think that, I think that is, I think that that seems smart, right? To to sort of get uh, get the equilibrium in the trade so that both parties can sort of feel as if they are 
both losing and acquiring future value. Like that is that's a good that's a good way to propose trades uh, amongst amongst teams with equal goals. I, I like that idea. Yeah, that's an interesting one for sure. Um, I, I would say I, pro I probably I'm, I'm honestly more frequently on the other end of that deal. But in terms of when I would sell my old players, you know, I think I mentioned this when we talked about Cup and Adams on the wide receiver pod. But it's it's everything in moderation. Like if if that that old elite superstar is helping you get from, you know, projected four seed to projected two seed. It's, it's very worth keeping them and their benefit to your expected value this year is probably going to outweigh the assured value decline that they have. If you already have an elite team without them, then it's just diminishing returns. And, yeah. and obviously if you don't expect to be a, a serious contender with them, then there's, there's really no point in having them. You need to be maximizing the utility of the asset and you probably only want to have a couple of them, right? right. If you're, if the only way you can contend is by having like six different 29 year olds, like you probably just don't have enough value to the point where you should probably be considering selling all of them and, and yeah. trying to tank before you have to commit to like a two to three year tank because you have no value. Um, and I think the biggest mistake that I see, the more common mistake that I see is that teams that teams want to create that unbeatable Avengers team and they want to have Adams and Hill and Diggs and Cup and Eckler. And it's like, I'm going all in this year. And it's just each, once you're already in contention for a buy, like each individual piece just has a, a really diminishing effect on your chances to win. And you should really only have, you know, a couple of those players who are able to propel you into position for a buy. The others should probably be sold off um for either younger players or for future draft picks or anything else because at that point you're deriving more expected value from extending your contention window than just adding a marginal difference to your opportunity to win this year yep so a couple questions here on kind of the the flip side of this like going for more the contending to the rebuilding or or kind of you know tweaking with you know basically selling off players so uh, here's I'll read two in a row. You have a mid-tier team. This is a scenario where you have a mid-two mid-tier team with one to two elite players. Your 2024 through 2026 draft capital is limited to your own picks. Um, okay. Question about what to do there. And then another situation: a rebuilding team, uh, one one plus years from really trying to compete. How desperately should this team be trying to offload veterans like James Conner, prime running backs like Ramondre Stevenson and Najee Harris? What kind of running backs should this team be keeping or trying to acquire, if any? So that, like, should I be blowing this team up a little bit question, you know, that pit in your stomach. Do I need to – do I have enough? Do I need to start moving guys? I mean, I think that – Right. I mean, really, it's it's hard. It's it's hard to answer this one because I think it's going to depend on like the activity levels of your leagues. Like, it, it never it never hurts to send out some exploratory stuff. I will say, in general, it feels better to have an extra couple picks banked than it does as a middling team than it does to have like three guys you're not starting any given week who are like decent, right? So, like, super flex league. Let's say you have one top ten asset quarterback you know, Trevor Lawrence, Anthony Richardson, whoever, but then you've got like a, a Ritter, uh, Jared Goff and uh, Mac Jones or, or, you know, someone of that ilk, right. Quarterback, quarterback 18 through 25, trying to, trying to get one or two of those guys out of the door for mm -hmm. some future value 
Uh, I, I mean, I think that's pretty obvious, but even, you know, if you build teams sort of like I like to, where you're not invested all that much at the running back position, you're kind of trying to patch that together. And you've got, say you got George Pickens, but George Pickens is your wide receiver six. If you could just bank, I, I actually just did this in a league uh, for, in the rookie draft this last year. I turned Pickens into, uh, I funnily enough, I actually turned Pickens into Jared Goff in this league because I needed a quarterback, but like approximate, approximate first round ish, late first round ish value was, you know, because I, in a given week, even with bye weeks and stuff, I wouldn't have been starting Pickens. So I, I just shipped him out because he wasn't adding points to my starting lineup and I was going to be starting Desmond Ritter as my super flex or whatever. So mm-hmm. I just, I just made the move. And I think that like, if you have redundant assets, just trying to diversify the redundancy on a more middling roster like that. Um, agree with that on the middling roster point. I would also just add that, you know, there's a fun aspect to dynasty and that it really does reward extreme outcomes on both ends where, you know, of course, the reward of finishing first is that you win the league and, and the next best thing beyond winning money is, is getting the first overall draft pick. So I think if you're in a middling spot, you know, I don't think you have to choose. I think you can wait and see if there are deals that come in really, you know, favorable versus the market that either result in you selling a bunch of win now pieces or, or getting a bunch of win now pieces and you can let the market decide for you. But I would also just consider taking shots on like really wide band profiles that if they hit potentially springboard you into uh, you know, a contention spot that you wouldn't have expected based on your value at present. And if they don't hit, you know, they, they wind up sort of choosing your direction for you and causing more of a tank opportunity. So I would potentially take some wide band shots and trades from maybe more middling secure assets. And then the other question, yeah, I, it does depend on your activity level in your league, but me personally, if I've already made the decision that I'm not contending, I just don't roster players. Um, like I are, I certainly don't roster players that aren't rookies. Like my, my team will basically only be rookies and draft picks and like, you know, injured players, suspended players. And like, sometimes I'll, I'll get some other guys thrown into a deal and maybe they'll like stop on my team until I can get their fair value and trade. But I'm never trying to rebuild where I'm like, I'm going to add Ramondre Stevenson because hopefully he's still good in two years when I'm ready to contend. Like I, yeah. the, get him out of there, ADP, get Najee out of there, here. get everyone out of there. Yeah. Uh, like if you, if you just look at ADP year over year, like draft picks, they rise in value. Rookies, they tend to rise in value. Everybody else on net loses value, whether you're in year two, year three, year four, or year eight. Okay, like Jerry Judy isn't guaranteed to lose value in the way that Devontae Adams is. But on net, like if you're looking at Jerry Judy, it's more likely that he loses value than gains value. So basically anytime you're stop and think about rookie, Stop and think about Jerry, because that seems like, how could that be, right? But stop and think about what we're doing now with Jerry Judy. He's being priced in redraft like he is about to have a breakout season. Right. So he either has that breakout season and rises slightly in value or he does right. not and loses a lot of value in Dynasty. And that's, you know, you say he's more likely to have that break, breakout season than not. But I don't know. What if he has a high ankle sprain or something like, you know, it does. He could be great, but like shit happens. And if he doesn't have a breakout season this year, he's going to lose value. He just is like that's the way Dynasty works. Right. I mean, even look at the year two wide receivers of the last couple of years. Right. Like you have you have examples of Amon Rossney Brown course has a massive breakout you gain a ton of value on Amon Ross St. Brown but 
look at uh, Michael Pittman gained value going into his uh, after his year two season. But you look at plenty of other examples like Elijah Moore cratered in value. Rashad Bateman cratered in value. Brandon Ayuk lost a lot of value. Um, uh, who's the other? Chase Claypool lost a ton of value. Laviska Chenault literally fell off the face of the earth. Like, and and you look at the examples of players who had really good year too. Like, T. Higgins like mostly sustained his value, right? Because of exactly right. what Pat said. The market was like, this guy's going to break out, and then he he broke out, and it was he like, did. okay, you did what was expected. You get to maintain your current value more or less, which is right. is a win. Like anytime you get production and you maintain your current value, that's a win. But it's not a win if you're not trying to win anyway. Right. The whole the benefit of young players is the opportunity that they score points in your lineup and then they're still worth what they were the year before. And you've just yes. banked the points for free. But and then and then you want to immediately reevaluate that bet, right? So you hit exactly. on T. Higgins, he maintained value, but now you think now you have to reevaluate right then and go, What is what does he need to do to maintain the value after this year? Because you know, arguably like he needs to do a fair amount. Like maybe T. Higgins is now someone who's he might not feel like an like a veteran. He might feel like a young player, but I he kind of is a veteran. He needs to keep producing at a high level to maintain his value. Otherwise, it's like it's Jamar Chase's team and he's a clear number two. And I'm actually not that interested in T. Higgins all of a sudden. Exactly. So yeah, I my, my take would be like store all your assets and picks. You don't have to wait till they all convey. Like you just Put all your assets into picks. You get tax-free. You don't have to pay any whole tax because you're not trying to win this year. And then next offseason, hopefully you've accrued enough value where you can go in, and then you trade a bunch of those picks at an increased valuation relative to players, and then just go and pick who you want, right? Now, your league has to be somewhat liquid for that. I know every league isn't super liquid, but generally speaking, I, I don't do the method of rebuilding where I like just slowly acquire players, and then eventually I get better. It's like I roster no one, and then when I'm ready, I... I push in not all my picks, but I trade a decent chunk of my picks until I'm able to put a contending roster together, and then I, I let it ride from there. The the other the first question I read about you know I've got one to two elite guys, and I don't have any other future picks except my own. Uh, I don't know who those elite players are in the question, mm-hmm. but my general feeling on that would be trade those dudes. Like, and I know Jake, your your thing about you know your TBD and you kind of play it through the season i think you can definitely do that um and try to trade picks you know as the season goes on and um or trade players as needed and and but i also you know elite players shift around who's elite you know can change pretty quickly and so i also had um a situation one of the best moves i ever made was i traded josh gordon after his his best year um i I looked at, I had joined this format. It was the first time I played this format. It was three wide receiver, two flex, full PPR, uh, one quarterback. And I just had underestimated how much depth I needed. And looking at the, the good teams, I was like, I, I just don't have the depth. I had like Matt Forte. His career was kind of on the down downhill. He's still productive. Josh, I have this elite young wide receiver in Josh Gordon. I traded away Forte. Didn't really win that trade exactly. Um, like the pieces I got didn't really amount to much. And I traded away Josh Gordon for like three total first round picks, I think in a 2014 class, I took Bishop Sankey with one of those picks. So like, oh, I, loved I Bishop sc- Sankey. yeah, I screwed this up in some important ways. Uh, that move still fueled an absolute 
like true dynasty team that was like in contention for first place for years thereafter. It helped that I traded into the 2020 class and I, I did come away with, you know, Mike Evans and Allen Robinson and Devontae Adams. And so there was plenty, you know, it, you, you want to change the trade into a good draft class when you do something like that, ideally. But just, you know, there was a sliding doors moment where like that team, I would have just muddled through it for a long time and, right. and it never would have amounted to anything. Like if you've got the elite assets and you don't have future picks and you're like, those two dudes aren't going to win it for you on their own. Like you're going to need to find a way to get a, a team together. And so my general lean there is it sucks, but trade them. I agree. It does depend to me who the elite players are. Like, Elite quarterback, I would be reticent to move just because there's it's so hard to reacquire. Like I, I fits Joe Burrow or Lamar Jackson or whatever. Like I'm probably keeping them. If you're saying the elite player is like AJ Brown, like he's out of there. Like I'm not, I, I'm I'm breaking him up into into other pieces. Um, I mean you can effectively just like money launder in this spot. You don't have to make the picks. This is like the thing people are like, well, I can't trade for twenty five dollars. So far, we've got tax evasion and money laundering here, Jacob. Be Pretty careful. much, that's the strategy. <laughs> Like people always say, like, what do you mean trade up for a 25 first? Like that player won't be good till 2027. It's like that player's never gonna be on my roster. Like, if you look at one of my one of my biggest rebuilds is in my home dynasty league, where I was just kind of muddling around and it had become super stratified. There were some awesome teams. I was like, all right, I'm just gonna take a year here. And I traded everything. Last year, when I say everything, last year, the only player on my entire roster that was not drafted or a UDFA in the 2022 rookie class was Jordan Love. Every single other player on my roster was a rookie. Like I just got rid of literally all of my players. Wow. Um, and then everything else was a pick. So like I made, I think like 12 picks in the rookie draft. And then I claimed about 14 UDFAs and that was my roster. Like that was just it. And then anytime like anybody popped, it was immediately trade them. And then I would get stuff back and then I would trade them. And like, there were some small losses for sure. Like some young players, like I got Ramondre Stevenson back in one trade and then I sold Ramondre Stevenson for 24 first. And I probably would go back in time and move that 24 first for Ramondre Stevenson today. I also sold James Robinson for a 25 first. Not, not regretting that. Right. And it's like on net, if you just keep like banking up all these deals, like you come up way ahead. And then what happened this off season, I was like, well, I gained a ton of value. And now I'm selling all of my picks to go get players again. But you wind up with like a massive surplus overall because you've just sold like, it's like you have two buckets. You have the pick bucket. It's like guaranteed to move up a little bit. And you have the player bucket, which is just a landmark. It's like there's 20% of them are going to go up a bit. And then 80% of them are going to go down a lot. And some of them are even going to fall off the face of the earth. And if you just take all your money out of one bucket and you put it in here, and then you just put it back again, like you're just going to have way more money overall. And you can do that for a year. Again, your league does have to be liquid to pull it off, but I, I strongly would recommend, like if you want to maximize the benefit of your rebuild and the timeliness of your rebuild, get rid of all your players, gain a bunch of value, and then go compete next year with a totally new lineup. You might even be able to get those players back. Like if you really, yeah. you know what I mean? Like if you're like, oh. I literally did actually. Yeah. I sold AJ Brown to my, to one of my friends. And then he was like, I'm think I'm going to tank this year. And I was like, can I have AJ Brown back? He's like, yeah, that's, that's amazing. But like AJ Brown, you know, he changed teams, you know, he, he competed with a really good other receiver in Devontae Smith and uh, he won. He came out the other side of that. He looks great. We still won AJ Brown, but like your friend got to carry that risk while you hung out in Pixland, And then you came back and we're like, cool, I'll take AJ Brown back now that I can actually use him. Uh, 
I love that. I mean, it is important to know the context of your league, though, because it's very hard to do in an illiquid league where people are uh, yes. not paying as much attention. Much. Or I've actually, I've the more frustrating thing is people are paying attention but just scared to lose trades. That yes. there are a couple leagues I'm in where people are just they. They really do not like to trade away rookie picks, especially first. I mean, like, mm. for example, I've got Tony Pollard in a couple leagues. Well, actually, in almost every league because I love Tony Pollard. Um, and I've been holding on to him forever. Like, you know, the Tony Pollard moon bag. And a totally fair price for him is, at minimum, I think, a 2024 first, right? But yeah. it's very hard to get that out of people. You know, if, if a person, if a person thinks their team is sort of on the borderline, if, you know, just whatever, right. A lot of surrounding circumstances, but you know, so at that point it's just like, well, I, I'm kind of, I'm just kind of fucked here. Like I, I have but, this asset that I think is great, but depreciating. For sure. What I almost always do though, is I rarely trade for picks and plus one. I usually trade for picks and plus two and plus three. So like this year, I'm going to be trading away 2024 firsts and 2023 rookies. And then I'm going to be acquiring a lot of 2025 and 2026 firsts. And then as that year closes, it'll, it'll be the opposite, but I'm almost always overweight on N plus two first. Like this and people year, are generally more willing to give those up. Like, if you're like I'll, I'll trade, I'll trade you for your 2026 first and second for Tony Pollard. Like that feels less fun for you as the Tony Pollard seller. It feels easier for the person giving it up, but like, Tony Pollard's not helping that person in 2025, and you have their 2026 right. first, so it actually it can is. work out pretty well for you. And it's, we it's actually your only are... chance. Go it's ahead, your Jacob. only chance to. Sorry, it's it's your only chance doing that to get first that are early that you don't pay for. Like if your own first is early, yeah. you literally pay for it. You pay a hundred dollars to enter the league and not win any games. Um, yeah. If you're if you're acquiring an early first on draft day, you're you're certainly paying for it. And if a team is bad and they have their own first. Like they're probably not trading it to you if they know it's going to be early. But you trade for a 2026 first today, that thing could be anywhere, right? And it's not necessarily always going to be valued as early. It does feel off-putting when you start, but it's like you just got to get the train rolling. Like if you if you just start now, the train just keeps rolling where like this past year, I like walked into 2023 drafts and I was like 2x the market on 2023 first to start the year. And then, you know, moved some 23 firsts to make buys, got a bunch of 2024s. Now I walk into this season, I'm 2x the market on 24s. We'll move some out. By the time let I make me, let me just, starts, a ton of 25. Let me just jump in here to say picks are cash. Picks yeah, are exactly. how you make deals. Picks are, you know, oh, let me just add a little bit. Oh, you, you don't want, let me just kind of grease the wheels here. Now we're bribing people. You, you just grease the wheels with, with this extra third, this extra second. You If you have a pick surplus, you can make deals like that. And again, you can move into, it's like you're trying to get, your team from from a to b and that can be difficult if you don't have the flexibility and the reason you might be trying to go from a to b is because you have a depreciating asset in a and you want to get to ascending asset in b or whatever it is having that pick surplus makes that so much easier and sometimes it's the only way you can accomplish it yeah that's good advice um we we kind of danced around something here that feels important to say in black and white which is that Sometimes for the greater good of the team you have, you need to take a loss in a trade. You need to take a mm. you, you plug it you mm. plug it into a trade calculator and they say, buddy, you are you are losing this trade. You should not make this deal. But when the alternative is writing the asset to zero, or when the alternative is trading the asset when it's 
depreciated 50%, well, then taking the yes. three quarters, mm -hmm. a button, uh, a Zen pouch, and um, an iPhone charger for your dollar, well, it's it's actually probably a good deal. Like I'm looking at this league right now where I'm trying to trade Pollard away, and I'm like, the context of this league might mean that I get the worst deal th that you find on the Dynasty League trade finder what, or whatever when it's just Tony Pollard, but it's still better than Tony Pollard plays on the franchise tag. He's really good, but then signs a deal to go split a backfield with Brees Hall in New York or whatever. You know, like like the yeah. the the range of outcomes are the assets going way down. When I when combining when I decide to make a trade, like when I'm gonna if I'm gonna use a trade calculator, it's I'm using my rankings, not mm -hmm. what the market is. I'm using my ranking. Am I getting more value on my team as a result of this trade from what I think? And does it make sense for my team? Not what the market says. Trade trade calculators are just for us to kind of go with the other person. Well, this looks fair, doesn't it? It's not mm -hmm. for you to make the decision, I don't think. Combining what both of you said, I think people underrate the importance of liquidation. Like whenever you liquidate an asset, you, regardless of the value transfer, you gain the opportunity to make future trades, right? So it's not just a matter of you trade Tony Pollard for two twenty-five. Right, you trade Tony Pollard for 225 seconds in Marvin Mims. That might feel extremely underwhelming, but you do gain the opportunity to then take three very liquid assets that have universal appeal to any roster and make other transactions with them. And you don't, you know, you're no longer as restricted. If you have Tony Pollard right now and you're not in a position to utilize him, there's not that many other people who will A, want to acquire Tony Pollard because the position their team is in. And then B, have the assets that you want, right? Like you basically need a team that wants to contend, needs a running back, and like has a first, right? A lot of times you can't yeah. find all three of those things. And so, you know, you liquidate Tony Pollard into a few different assets that have more universal trade appeal. And all of a sudden, like you use those wisely enough, you can create a really big net positive where maybe you take a small market loss, but if you're able to win on other deals, over time, it, it becomes clear that it's a win. So I think people underestimate just how important it is to be in on every trade, right? Like you, you want to have the chance to be the person who's getting the absolute steals. And it's the easiest to do that if you have a number of different types of assets and different asset classes that have appeal to any manager, where any manager is like, I want to move this guy and I'm desperate to do it, or I want to move my first, or I'm desperate to do it. Like whatever that person needs, like you have something to offer and you can be yes. in the mix. Be easy to work with. Be someone that people want to call up when they when they need. It's like, hey, if I need to get something done, I know I can call Jacob, and we're going to work something out that makes sense for both of us. This is another thing. This is a Sean thing that I learned too. Like that that dude is always in on the trades. He's always really easy to to work something out with. Mm -hmm. And you know, there there can be win win trades, and you can mm -hmm. lose a trade and it be okay because you're seen as someone who you know. You get stuff done. You you're not like nickel and diming for every. You're not squeezing every value out of every trade, and it's exhausting, right? So if you're just like, yeah, good enough, let's I've, do it. I've really had to get better at that because I've been the nickel and dimer before. Because uh, I well actually like the first league I ever played in, I just lost a couple trades because I didn't really know what I was doing, and so just feeling that fear, of, the fear, of, right? Uh, the, the fear of getting owned, and then just like when you acknowledge one you know, fantasy football is such a game of uncertainty anyways. And then we're like projecting 
athletes we we don't know we don't know what their lives are like three years down the road like you know to quote to quote the great kyle shanahan like we could all be dead tomorrow you know like it's not that it's not it's not like don't don't deal from a position of fear because it it to corinne's point i mean it just makes you less fun like it's just have fun fun. have fun with it because the other person's having fun with it and that's going to lead to more deals and there can be i i truly think because dynasty is a game where you can have different incentives. My incentive is to offload this dude so I can get the 101 and set myself up for the rebuild the way that I think this rebuild should look. And your incentive is to win the league. So we actually can reach a win-win conclusion to this trade. And therefore, you should, you know, I think people think about in trades, how do I win this trade versus my league mate, versus versus the person I'm trying... But what about versus the other 10 guys? Exactly. Right? The other 10 teams. Oh, that's they, a great. I've never thought of it that way, but that's a really great point, I'm, Pat. I'm stealing this directly from Sean. that He's put it in these terms. This is not something I came up with. But I think it's such a key point. You and your trade partner can both come out ahead against the other 10 teams in the league. And if you're actively making trades and easy to work with, you're constantly coming out ahead yes. of the other 10 teams in the league. You're bringing someone else along for you for the along with you for the ride, but it's different people every time, and you're continuing to move up exactly. in value. Fantasy football or dynasty fantasy football is a dual market environment, right? There's a buying power market which you're just accruing more and more value, and there's a production market in which you're trying to have production in a given year. And any opportunity in which you can try to make a trade that helps you in one of those markets, the other person can make you in the other market. You're not competing against each other. You're competing in different markets. And there's other teams in your market, there's other teams in their market, and you're both getting a gain, and you can participate in parallel. And later, you can participate in opposite markets a year later and literally trade those same assets back to each other. It's that's you you you, you put it in such a such a great way. Like you're every time you trade, unless you think that your current roster is a perfectly efficient encapsulation of who you like more than the market and who has more utility to your team position than the market then there's some trade that you can do that's efficient for you and everybody else in that same position. And by constantly having opportunities, you're going to come out and out ahead. Yes. So here's, uh, I want to get back to some of the rebuilding stuff in a minute, but um, we're kind of on trades and this was a a trade calculator question. It feels like the Mm -hmm. ubiquity of trade calculators is resulting in some ridiculous offers, often missing context in some of my leagues. What are leverage points to use against people who overly rely on trade calculators. One thing that I would say is figure out which trade calculator they use, subscribe to that site, and figure out where that trade calculator is way off because there's almost certainly spots where it's just you completely disagree with some of the the you know trades that this thing's spitting out. I've done that, you know, because oh, yeah. the person's sending you screenshots on, on this trade calculator, or they say this is off and you go. Let me. What what are you using? Let me just check myself. Yeah. Then you then you get in there. You you get some trades. That's one way to leverage it. Because if the person's overly dependent on the trade calculator, the trade it's, calculator. It's actually insane how well that will work too. Because the person oh, will well, have a buy. Well, they'll have a biasing effect of they go plug that in the, their calculator, you know, and they're like, oh shit, I'm winning this deal by yeah. by eight percent. I would be a fool to turn right. this down, you know. So if you really disagree with the base evaluation, you really get in there good yeah i i have a hard time with that i have a hard time disagreeing with the trade calculator like once it's presented there and it's 837 on this side and 915 on this side you better Uh, take the 915 
the, the key to most trade calculators is, is just like you always want to be in the side with less pieces. Like value adjustments on trade calculators are horrendous. Like the easiest way to spam the trade calculator is just to offer a three for one trade because mm -hmm. it'll just add, add it'll, Marquez Valdez scaling in there. Right. Like it'll be like 3,600 versus 3,900. And then you add like Romeo Dubs, who is like probably worth like a 25 third. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> 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 Overpay. <laughs> Yeah, like it's it's totally it's totally a thing. Like I, I did it just the other day where, um, like I was trying to buy like Aaron Jones and I think I offered, I don't know, I offered like a twenty five second and something else for like Aaron Jones and something else that was marginal. And then they were like, I like plugged it into KTC and you're off by like uh, a bit. And they like countered with a first. And then I like went into K Trade Cut and I was like. Okay, what if instead of a first, I did a 26 second and tie Jay Spears? And they're like, that looks pretty good to me. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, because you knew, you knew what the answer you're right, getting the answers yeah. to the test because you know yeah. where you know where they're going to go. Um, I will say with trade calculators, don't be the person who's sending uh, the trade calculator screenshot saying, you got to do this deal. <laughs> Look how much better this side is. Take the deal. That's super annoying. No one likes that. I, I uh, think what you can do, though, is if someone implies that your trade offer was unfair, that you're just yes. trying to to do that, to then be like, I, I literally plugged it into the trade calculator. Like, I'm not. This I'm is not where I'm coming, coming from. Yes. I'm not trying to rip yeah. you off. This looked fair. Totally understand if we're if you're different from the market. I'm also yeah. different from the market. You can be honest, too. You can be like, I also value the side that I would be getting higher than the market. That's why I'm making this trade to you. Yeah. But, you know, it's it can be a conversation for sure. And it can be a way to get on the same page, but it's not, no one has ever been persuaded by, you know, you're right. 915 is higher than 875. I didn't think of that before. I will accept your trade. <laughs> so yeah, I would just be careful with that. Um, let me, let's get back to some of the rebuilding stuff quickly. Cause I, I want to kind of fire through the rest of these. Uh, so one more kind of broader question here. And then I'll, there's like three rapid fire questions. Um, I once heard a former NFL exec say on a pod that it should only take two years to complete a rebuild of an NFL franchise, meaning the third year that team should be competing, or it was a failure. First, do you agree? Uh, secondly, what's the timetable look like in Dynasty? What I would say to the first question is, you can't fire me from my Dynasty team. <laughs> That's the big difference here. I don't know yeah. about how long it should take to complete an NFL rebuild, really, but we can't get fired. Um and so I like in terms of the timetable for a dynasty rebuild, I'm a little flexible on that. I mean, I, I, so the 2020 startup that you and I did, Davis, you mentioned that we are now in competing mode. So, so that means we tanked 2020, 2021, 2022. Yeah, three years where we, so we did not meet this timetable. The third year we were not competing. The fourth year we and, were. And neither one of us, neither one of us would have even started going for it this year if Leone, who had won the league twice, didn't dismantle his team. We right. both we both would have kept in a holding pattern had Leone not started shipping his pieces well, off. Well, literally for me, because like some of my pieces came from Leone that I'm now looking to to win with. So. But he traded away he traded away Aaron Rodgers, Tyreek Hill, and Derrick Henry in one trade. Like he he very clearly signaled his intention to go one direction. Yes. Yes. So um and actually held his first as he was tanking. So that made my life a lot easier. Um <laughs> but yeah I mean I think and the... and you got off of Trey Lance as a non-negative asset, which was I think <laughs> 
feels like a win. <laughs> I, I think uh, I, I think three years is way too long. I, I don't think it should ever. Take I I knew I knew Jacob would be year. like you we, guys. Are we insane. both screwed up a new format that we didn't right. understand. Is essential. We it was a slow yeah. auction. I, I don't know if you feel like you screwed up, Davis. I definitely feel like I screwed I it mean, up. I mean, not only did I screw it up, what what I did was, I mean, we both did it in our own way. What I did was I paid too much for future picks, like, because mm. we had our rookie picks available as part of the draft. So when people would I win see. them, I was spending really money fun. on the future. But not only did I do that, I also bought the 101 with the auction dollars I did and have. I and, Edward Solera, wasn't it? and who do you think I took yeah. instead of Jonathan Taylor or CeeDee Lamb? Yeah, or and Joe Burrow, right? Too <laughs> Joe Burrow. Yeah, I mean, oh, I just, no. I, yeah, oh, I, no. I, I totally, I totally. Burr, yeah, a lot of yeah. guys. Uh, my thing is, it should never take you more than one intentional year, which is usually two total years. Like, like, so for instance, so you're, you're the in GM. the middle. You decide with this GM. So you're in the middle of the season, and it's week eight, and you're like, man, like, I was relying on Devontae Adams, but it turns out that the worry works on Twitter were correct. And like Jimmy Garoppolo ruined him and this guy sucks. And I had Cooper cup and he broke his ankle and it's a disaster. And I'm stripping this for parts. Like I'm not counting that as a year. The next year you can then tank fully 2024. You should be ready to rock by 2025 is, is my take. Like it should never be more than one intentional year. If you're you different, different two in years out of a startup. This is different. And I think that that's the way the one I talked about previously I, is what I did. I toured down in 2020, entering 2020, had a full tank where I got Todd Gurley 101, and then I wasn't awesome the next year, but it was it was ascending. So I, 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 that's I, my I my take is like I think if it's taking you longer than one intentional year or two total years, then. I just think you're not being aggressive enough on either end. Like, I think either you're not selling off enough players so that you have less opportunities to gain value because you're holding too much on your roster, or you're not being aggressive enough buying when you're ready to rock. Like, I, there's tons of players in, in the Bulletproof Discord that, like, the biggest fight I have with people is people are like, I have seven firsts in 2024 and six firsts in 2025, um, but I'm probably not competing until 2026. And it's like, why you have 13 firsts like tra train some of them like win win now <laughs> like you you have value um yeah so i i think yeah I, I would guess that the people who are the teams that i see that are stuck in perpetual rebuild are the teams that are rostering a bunch of young players and hoping that they gradually get better rather than the teams that are tearing down getting the 101 and then aiming to move the picks for a better return than they just got them with and buy players more cheaply than they traded them away. I, I don't, I've had two years of tanking before, but it's been a scenario where like, like one, one league I was in, I like tanked out of the startup the next year I was ready to rock. But then like I had Trey Lance and he broke his leg and I had Brees Hall and he tore his ACL. It was like, okay, I guess false start, right? Like we're, uh -huh. we're selling again and we'll be good next year. That's a little different, but I don't think it should be. If your plan is to tank for two full seasons, I I, I struggle to imagine that you've been mobilizing as much value as you're possibly capable of. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. Um, all right, let's rapid fire some of these questions here, and then we can kind of move to some slightly different topics. Um, 
Let's go. Okay. I have a dynasty roster with Justin Herbert, Deshaun Watson, Kyle Pitts, Brees Hall, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and basically nothing else. My question is, how would you handle a very top-heavy roster that already has the positions of scarcity figured out? Uh, assuming this is super flex with Herbert and Watson. I don't really want to trade out of these high-end studs, but I'm not sure how to accrue enough value to fill out the rest of the team otherwise. I would segment out one of the quarterbacks. I would do, like if this was my situation, I'd be like, Watson to Kirk Cousins and a pick and a piece that I think I can start a little bit in a managed league or, or something like that. That would be like the first move. And then the other one would be going to the tanking teams and being like, I'll give you a, a fucking fourth round pick for David Montgomery. Like I will give you the absolute bare minimum to get a guy I think can generate some stats this year. Those would be those. That would be how I would start, I think. One thing that I did last year is I traded, I forget, like a second or something, and I got like a like a crop of dudes that no one was excited about. Dallas Goddard, mm-hmm. uh, DeAndre is, Hopkins This is a great way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, just like guys. You a, know a, what? a second round pick for five guys who are just like whatever. Yeah, for for just like gross depth. But you need the gross depth. You have the, you have the core pieces, so gross depth is actually pretty appealing as long as you don't have to yep. overpay for it. Yep. That's exactly what I did on on one team, um, maybe at like a slightly higher level. But yeah, I was in this spot and I was like, I'll trade. Like there was a team that was tearing down. I was like, I'll trade you first. And I won't even take any of your good players, but I'm taking all of your all of your mediocre players. Like I want like I want like Chris Godwin and J.K. Dobbins and Darren Waller and Mike Williams. And I was like a first. Yes, and yes, it was like, yes. I want like all these guys. And then you just establish like your baseline confidence around your stars. That's probably what I would do is try to just buy, buy on the cheap um, and give, give something flashy. And especially this team where you have Watson and Herbert, like that would be the team where I am willing to go into a little bit of picked at um, because you're, you're set up quite sustainably. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. If you are a tanking team in Superflex best ball, should you still put in waivers? Like these players might help me win games. I don't want to win. But on the other hand, a few players are a lot better than what I have. For instance, Brock Purdy. Yeah, you should put in waivers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. put it put if you're in a situation where you're in a super flex league and you can waiver Brock Purdy, like just get him and then immediately trade him for a second or whatever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, like, did I forget to put in waivers last night in a league? I sure did. But yeah, I you mean, should, look, we've, you all, we've that. all been there. Yeah. Oh man. Every every year what happens is some analyst, um, and in this year's case, it was Benjamin Gratch, will be like hey, would you like to join this league? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, it's on MFL. And I'm like, okay, sure. And then whatever. And then what happens is it's my only league on MFL and I'm the world's worst manager because yeah. I get like an email and they're like, check your yeah. lineup. And then it's like, do I have to? And then I'm like, yeah, I'll do that later. And then I, I don't. Then and I, then I it's, it's the worst. I, I Every year I do this. And the difference between like my hyper management on Sleeper versus my laissez-faire attitude towards my MFL teams is stark. And I, yeah, I, it's now locked and I don't have, I have an empty roster spot for the entire rest of the year in this last week. But you should do it if you remember to do it. Um, sure. Should. Cause you can always trade those guys. MFL. <laughs> yeah. And you, if you get like, if you get a second pick, second round pick out of it, like ama- amazing, you know what I mean? Like, come on, that's, you, you should, yeah. if you're going to, if you're thinking about doing it, do it. Um, all right, last one on this topic. You mentioned being high on Kyler Murray. Um, I forget who this question next. That must be me. Yeah, it yeah. must be you. Okay, yeah, you are high on Kyler Murray, especially <laughs> for rebuilding teams. 
but also being very high on Lamar Jackson. If you have Jackson or another elite quarterback, would you consider selling them for Kyler Plus on rebuilding teams? And how much would you need on top of it? Uh, is it the more important part of this question, Jacob, since I know your answer is going to be yes? Yeah, well, my preference would be to not. Like, my preference would be to uh-huh. add Kyler without sacrificing another elite quarterback. Um, but if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. Uh, yeah, it, it would depend. Like, I ideally, I want to move one of the elite quarterbacks that I think is a little bit um, overvalued, which to me is Fields is first on that list, and then probably mm-hmm. Lawrence is second on that list. Um, but... Yeah, it would. I would want you know a little above the market rate. I guess would be my answer. But if I can get a first round pick and virtually anything else to move one of those back half of the top ten quarterbacks, if we're talking like Allen Mahomes for Kyler Murray, like I, I'm, I'm probably minimum two firsts on top and probably a little more. Um, but if it's like the Lawrence Fields group, then like one first plus something else probably like what I'm trying to target. Here's a question that kind of goes to that. What's the systemic risk that Konami quarterbacks lose significant mobility as they get older? And how do you bake this into dynasty valuation? Seems like Lamar, Kyler, and maybe others are headed for age slash injury regression. Thoughts on that? I don't think that I don't think that we know. Like we just don't actually have that much data on like high volume rushing quarterbacks as they age. Like Randall Cunningham did not run as much as these guys did and then like transformed later into his career as like a really high volume pocket passer. Michael Vick went to prison and then he came back and was really good for a while. And then he was awesome. Um, Yeah. It was awesome in his thirties, but like, we don't really have like any idea of how to like use him as a good example of like how the gradual build up and down works because he was literally in prison. Um, And then we have Cam Newton, but like, Cam Newton sustained a ton of injuries. Is, is that because his shoulder? Of the runner? Went. Maybe right. It, it, it his was shoulder. his shoulder, not his legs. Exactly. So, and he never actually lost the ability to run. Like it was more. So, okay, is it possible that like because Tyler and Lamar run, that they will sustain more injuries like Cam Newton did, and then thus will be able to throw worse? Like it's possible, but I mean the 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 Twitter doctor community has seemed to indicate that there's not really that many more injuries that occur for rushing quarterbacks and for non-rushing quarterbacks. Lamar's injuries have largely occurred in the pocket, quite frankly. Um, so is the risk, I, I guess, but I don't know that we actually have that much evidence that running quarterbacks start to run a ton less or that they're going to get injured a lot more. I guess we'll have a lot more data in five to 10 years because this is kind of the most data we've ever had on like high level rushing quarterbacks, right? Like it's different than like a Cordell Stewart where it's like, he was like, he, he was like a gimmick, right? He was never like a legitimate, like every year asset in the way that a Cam Newton was. So I think the sample size is too small to know for sure. Um, I think it's fair to have some doubts, but um, I also think that, I also think that the market generally prices that in um, and compared to like that really high floor year to year that you get from that rushing basis. Like I still wind up being above the market on virtually every rushing quarterback. I think yeah. that with, you know, with some of these guys, you know, if you think about Lamar and his range of outcomes and how risky of an asset he is, if the market is going to give me a discount because he's a, a rushing quarterback, like hell yeah, I'm taking that discount because Lamar just signed a new contract. Lamar is is a franchise quarterback. 
And so if, if there's, I agree with Jacob, like we don't really know there could be this, uh, you know, potential red flag with these guys. Maybe, maybe not, but we do know that guys losing their jobs is a huge problem and that's not always priced in. So, you know, fields, the concern with fields for me would be, is he ultimately going to be a long-term starter in the NFL? Are the bears going to lose faith in him? If he doesn't take a leap forward this year has nothing to do with the fact that he's a mobile quarterback, you know, only to the extent that maybe the bears coaches wish he was a better thrower, um, you know, or whatever, but that's like the only reason that, that that would, that his profile concerns me. And if you just focus on what happens if this guy has a down year, what's his job security? That question, I mean, I feel like you can you can beat the market in a big way just by thinking through that question. You don't have to kind of get into the weeds of the stuff mm-hmm. we don't know about yet. To that I, point, I wouldn't be okay. buying. I wouldn't be buying on Fields just on the topic of, of running quarterbacks. I feel like you're you you sort of miss the boat and you're assuming all the risk for like he's not going to appreciate. I mean, like I don't think can Justin Fields have a highest higher. He could. I mean, he could. He could have. He could have Jalen Hurts if he if he appreciates that. But I'm not buying on Fields not because I think he's like a rusher and he's going to get hurt. I'm not buying on Fields because he is a round one startup quarterback who has not been a good quarterback in the NFL yet. Yeah, that that's that's the right answer. Yeah, I have Fields on a team, but I would like to trade out of them if possible. Unfortunately, um, it's an industry league, and so everyone in the league may now know that, and I might have trouble doing it, but. I got to Fields by trading Trey Lance. We talked about this on one of these podcasts. Yeah, that's before. always a win. Question here: What should Trey Lance owners do now? Feels like Try. holding or selling extremely low. You, you got you got to hold. You cannot possibly you cannot possibly have gone through the odyssey you went through with Trey Lance and be like, you know what? I'll take a twenty twenty five third. Like, what's the point? Yeah, I mean, like, I just don't frankly have it, whatever I could possibly get in return. It's just not worth the humiliation that is yep. bound to exist if I like start sending out Trey Lance based trade offers and then like the person's like, ha ha, no. Like I just can't face that. Like, or, it, it, or I would the, oh, the rejection. Yeah. I can't handle the rejection. Like I can't handle sending out an offer of Trey Lance for Devin Singletary in a 2026 second and being told no. Like that's yeah. Just, Marvin Mims like insta rejected. That's that's gonna right. hurt. Yeah. So at this point, like, I think you just need to treat Trey Lance like a draft pick, right? Like, pretend that Trey Lance is, like, Will Levis or Hendon Hooker or, like, Malik Willis or anything else. And it's just – he's just going to sit there on your team and, like, if he turns into something, then awesome. In all seriousness, uh, you definitely hold Trey Lance. The, the market, like, at times has shown, like, a pretty massive willingness to buy into Trey Lance despite uncertainty. He was worth more than Lawrence after his rookie year. And feels right, and even even early this offseason, he was a third, fourth round startup pick when people thought that Purdy was not going to be healthy enough to start the season. Yeah, that so, was your window. Luckily, that I, was the window. That was definitely when I was like, "All right, we're taking the last train to Clarksville here." Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, at this point in time, anything, any possible externality that would affect Trey Lance would be positive. Like him getting cut is positive. Him getting traded is positive. Brock Purdy throwing an interception is positive. Brock Purdy. Like doing anything bad, like the market at this point has decided it's pretty hundred percent. Even Trey so, Lance playing in the preseason a bunch is positive because it's like at least right. you're getting to see him. At least teams are now. If he looks terrible, maybe it's not positive. But, but I think yeah. that's what's expected. So I don't know. I would just yeah, hold true. him, and like all you need, all you need is like 
one 24-hour period of like a positive Trey Lance news item, and then maybe like some truther sends you something, right? Like I, I, I once sold LaVisca Chenault for the 205 because there was a random tweet that said the Chiefs were interested in trading for him after his second year. Like, and then immediately someone was like, I'll give you the 205. And I was like, you I, I remember it. that tweet. I literally <laughs> yeah. remember that. You remember you that, that trade because yeah. I'm pretty sure you're the person who traded for him. Uh, I mean, so, so while well, you're not wrong. I mean, so while Jacob was talking, I did just in my own head go through like, okay, what happens if Trey Lance actually does look good in the preseason? And Sheffer tweets that like the Titans want to trade the for him. And are the, acquiring. Yeah, like then I like I am immediately going to MFL and being like, I'm going to send out some really sneaky offers, and maybe no one's noticed, and they'll just be so happy to get a Trey Lance trade offer. Maybe they'll just instantly click accept. And and by the way, when Davis sends you that offer, hit accept. <laughs> hit accept yeah. on that offer. Yeah, I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think I think you know just like honestly, I'm so I'm so sick for Trey Lance. The fact that he keeps wearing this "can't believe y'all doubted me" hat is like I'm like I don't maybe he maybe he knows something we don't. Maybe Trey Lance actually <laughs> like maybe Trey Lance Love really it. is good, and we just haven't seen it yet, and it's just been a nightmare scenario for him. Like that's how sick I am for this guy. I can't. So if there are if if I'm able to say this with the self knowledge that it's stupid, there will be other people in your leagues that also have are in the same situation yes. where they they want to quit him, but they literally do not know how. This is, I mean, this is the magic of of your analysis, Davis. I mean, you're you're able to communicate this like deep, you know, emotional bias that we're all going to feel when yeah. the third overall pick, who's a mobile quarterback, looks like he might get a second chance. We're all going to be excited again. We are. We know it. Trailers what is, is like his ADP heroin? Be... And if you get like one tweet from Adam Schefter that's like the CDC has decided that heroin might actually cure cancer, like someone's offering a 2025 first for that hit. 100%. I mean, what is his ADP going to be when he's the starting quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2025? Like, you know, high, yeah. high, it pretty high. Low. Yeah. Higher than now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 right. This is uh, the game. That's the whole game. It's, it's, like we're in the Trey Lance portion of the proceedings where it's like where someone's posting, it's like, yeah, like I bought this eight, but like it was all about the community anyway. So I'll see you in right. three years. Like, that's that's where right. we're at. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. We're we're locking our Trey Lance. The Trey Lance board ape yacht club. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh it, it will be a, a boring year uh for you, but maybe maybe <laughs> there's some excitement there during the preseason. Um, so this is a, an apt question here. Is there an argument to zigzag versus dynasty ADP on questionable quarterback prospects who are drafted early by the NFL? You get no, punished. Exact, when you pay exact up. opposite. No, exact opposite. Hang on. Let me finish. You get punished for when you pay up for Darnold slash Zach Wilson's types and you get majorly rewarded when taking Allen slash Herbert types that fall uh, might be impossible in the current Superflex meta. I think that's the harder part is it? I feel like yep. the market's kind of waking up to that a little bit, but Trey Lance busting, Zach Wilson busting, um, and Will Levis and Malik Willis falling in the draft. So anyone who did pre-draft stuff got burned yeah. there. I actually think that these opportunities may start to open up again. I think it. I think that they open up if they don't run, but if they do run, then people don't give a shit. Like, I don't think people think Anthony Richardson is good, or but they've certainly talked themselves into it, and he's being drafted ahead of Deshaun Watson in Dynasty ADP at the moment. Um, well, that's that's and so like, but if, if if it wasn't Richardson, like if it was Levis who went fourth overall to the Colts, 
then I think he would still be like a fifth or sixth round startup pick. Um, I, I just think but he would be an opportunity. Would... I think there wouldn't he? Exactly. Exactly. I totally agree. So like, I think the the quarterbacks who like don't really run and who aren't swaggy, um, if they get drafted early, that's an opportunity to bet into the uncertainty. But the the Lance, the Richardson, like the kind of sketchy quarterback who does run, like I'm not saying you don't want them because the upside is legitimate. It's just that it, it will be priced in. You are you are no longer ever going to get a discount. I don't think on on that guy. I thought we might with Richardson. Like I thought the backlash to people were in on Malik Willis pre-draft and he went in the third round. People were in on Trey Lance and he flamed out in spectacular fashion. And people are like, please, sir, may I have another 201 startup, Anthony Richardson, let's go. So I, I don't know if people are in. It's point. largely the same people too, because I was in on Malik Willis pre-draft. Yeah, hi, I'm people. Yeah, yeah I am people <laughs> and I am drafting Anthony Richardson. He's my most drafted quarterback on underdog. It's fine. Yep, me too. I drafted Malik Willis in 47% of my drafters' best balls last year just for the vibes. I, hey, he got some run. <laughs> it, it, it didn't go It didn't go that well. <laughs> but, but I wasn't willing I wasn't willing to completely give up on him. I the, the day that he got his first start against Kansas City, um I had a quarterback on by that week and it was like a, a league where I really needed to make the playoffs. And I was like, all right, like I'm just going to make a trade for Malik Willis. And I can't actually remember what the trade was, but it was bad. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to take a shot on Malik Willis. Like what if he shows up? And I remember the first quarter, he looked actually kind of sick. And I was like, I think he, I had, he got, he got stoned on a running play near the goal line. And that was it. That was the, the they yeah. were like, if you can't, if you can't do this, then what are you like? What are you here the, for? The What's first quarter, he he threw like one like semi deep pass to Jeff Lane that was really impressive, and then he threw one pass that Chigakonko ran with for like forty yards, yep. and then he had like one designed run where he, he gained like twenty yards, and I was like, wow, like I I just traded for the next Michael Vick today, and I feel incredible, like. Ryan Tannehill is done. This guy is going to be the face of the league. And within two hours, I was like, oh, like I, I just threw assets for nothing. This guy will never. We really, we really <laughs> have not done, like, there needs to be a 30 for 30 on the decision inside of that building to go with Josh Dobbs for like a must win <laughs> game because it's, it's, it's just like, I want to know what Malik Willis is thinking when they're like, they're bringing Josh Dobbs last started a game for the University of Tennessee in 2018. That was the last time he started a football yeah. game. And they were like, wow. you know what? I believe it was the Gator Bowl. I mean, that could be. I'd have to go back and really get in my records, but you're right. Also, I mean, just weirdly enough, I was looking at the Browns' depth chart, and he is technically their backup quarterback, which I, yeah, I don't know. Good luck. Uh, I, I, I'm incorrect. It was, he played in the Gator Bowl, I think, the previous year with the Music City Bowl against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. All right, let me get another question here. Somehow we're now in Josh Dobbs' uh, collegiate career. So we, <laughs> we, we had a good a good run of quick questions, but now we've gone off the rails. Get a thick <laughs> okay, This is uh, somewhat related. How much do you risk? How much risk do you place for wide receivers with uncertain quarterback futures? For instance, Tyreek and Waddle with Tua dealing with concussion issues, Cup and Stafford's arm health in question, uh, all the Raiders with Garoppolo. See, you're uh, you're much more likely to get a win here taking the risk on the uncertain quarterback than you are to take a loss of like your guy having to play in fantasy Siberia for a year. I think Devontae Adams is a great example of this where the, the base assumption for him would have been he's 29 years old, changing teams, going to go play for the shitty Raiders. 
he's going to be bad, right? Like, I, or, right. or, oh, A.J. Brown's going to go play with Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts has never been good, uh, or I, I'm not a Jalen Hurts. Just whatever the situation is, Tyreek and Waddle with Mike White. Just you're Not to say you won't occasionally get a fantasy Siberia season where your guy literally doesn't have a guy throwing it to you. Obviously, that exists, but you're much more likely to book a win, I think. Well, it's interesting the question was phrased with uncertain quarterback future, but I feel like it didn't really make a delineation between uncertain quarterback future and uncertain quarterback present. Um, I definitely want to buy into wide receivers with an uncertain quarterback present. Like, like Drake London is a great example, where it's like the only options for him moving forward is either Desmond Ritter is a lot better than we expect or they get a different quarterback. Yeah. But like his current quarterback expectation is priced as though it sucks. And right? he's Which a second-year wide receiver likely. who flashes a rookie who's a great prospect, tons right. of draft capital. So it's not like it would be different if Desmond Ritter was 30 years old or if not, if, yeah. sorry, if Drake London was 30 years old. Exactly. And on the other side of that coin is like Garrett Wilson, who has an extremely uncertain quarterback future. His quarterback is 40 years old, but I, I don't think his price discriminates. Like I think his, his price is jazzed about Aaron Rodgers. And I don't know that his price would be all that different if Aaron Rodgers was 31 instead of 40. Um, I don't wish to acknowledge that Garrett Wilson is overvalued because I love him. So it's, it's fine. I'm willing to like look past it, but I definitely think the market is pretty willing to look past uncertain quarterback futures. If the present is fine. Like I, I think that the fact that Justin Jefferson is the unanimous wide receiver one ahead of Jamar Chase is, is inefficient because I, I think that like at some point, Justin Jefferson is going to have, it's not a, it's not an anti cousins thing. It's a who comes after cousins. I, I don't know. It could be Trey Lance, um, but Jamar Chase is going to have Joe Burrow for his entire prime. Um, so I, I take, I think I do take it into consideration when it's not right then. I don't really care for the olds. Like who's quarterback next year for the Raiders? Gosh, I don't know. They're, are they probably better than Jimmy Garoppolo? Maybe is Devontae Adams going to be alive in 2024? Like who, who's to say? So I think for, for the old guys, like I'm just, I'm living in the present. Yeah. I just double checked to make sure I had chase ahead of Jefferson, which I do. Um, but that's, that's that is huge you're right like there's there's going to be a reckoning there a little bit with if you we'll probably all have chase ahead of jefferson next year so why wouldn't you have chase ahead of jefferson this year if that's if that's very likely to happen um this should be a quick one to what extent would you expect running backs to recoup the value lost from last year if they score strongly this year none it does it literally doesn't matter None. <laughs> yeah. Derek, Derek Henry leads the NFL in rushing, scores 27 touchdowns. Guess what? You're still getting uh, – yeah, I'll, I'll do a 2023 or 2025 third for Derek Henry. You know, it, The it, offer on the table now will be on the table again. That's maybe, what maybe not. Maybe not, right? It, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> it might not be. It won't be. The, the win no, that's, that's your upside case is that you can do right. the deal you could do now in a year. Yeah. The, the, the win for an old running back, but old anyone, but especially running back, the win is that they don't lose that much value and you get a bunch of points, right? Yeah. The, like you can't the, the win, the win is the points they do on your roster, not what the they win, get in value. Exactly. The win is Tony Pollard scores 18 points per game. And if you wish to, you can still trade him for 80% of the same value. Like that's, that's the yeah. victory scenario. Yeah. Another trade question. Uh, how should we approach the timing of trading? preseason, off-season, in-season, etc. There's obviously natural market fluctuation, but also different cycles of owner sentiment. I think this is massively important to just keep in the back of your mm -hmm. mind. 
that, well, trade trade for picks right now. No one cares about picks, picks right, right now. now. No one, no one knows. No one like maybe they've heard of Marvin Harrison Jr. and they know about Caleb Williams and Drake May, but they're not salivating over 2023's or 2024's yep. Jordan Addison. They don't know about Dalton Kincaid yet. There's no anchoring effect. There's no oh, I'm giving up the opportunity to draft at player X, right, that I'm really attached to when it's two months. The picks are never The anchor effect goes the other way. It's, I got to get this guy on my team. This guy's buzzing. This guy's yes. the camp. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, Am I going to give up the opportunity to get this guy? It's like... Yes, right. Yeah, Where, whereas, whereas try getting try getting a third-round pick when the draft is actually happening. People are like, yeah, I'll do Justin Jefferson for the 303. Like, you're okay, not getting... You're, you're not getting... <laughs> you are not getting picks That's during no, the no. Yeah, that's yeah, a no-no. Everyone, yeah, they'll they'll turn you down snarkily. <laughs> it goes. They're like, oh, wants- you wanted to send you you wanted to send Tony Pollard for Dalton Kincaid. Good joke, brother. Like, no chance. Yeah, yeah. and then in in October, if you're like, okay, I'll send you Kincaid for Pollard, who's now crushing. It, you'll get the exact opposite reaction. It's yeah. Everyone wants a sexy roster in in April and May. Mm-hmm. Everyone. It's like. You're, you feel like you're out of this like party. You're like, oh my God, like I should have been hitting even, the gym. And even being right aware of it, you can't help it. Like if someone were to oh, send yeah. me a, a trade for a, a player yeah. I like for a pick right now, I'd be like, yep, done. Except, you know, like I just yes. would. I wouldn't be able yes. to. It's literally just, like, why, do we, why do we play fantasy football? Because like we want the dopamine rush. And at the end of the day, it's like when the rookie draft is happening and you have to sit through a rookie draft in which no one asks your sleeper handle followed by the letters OTC, like you just feel sad inside and you are willing to sacrifice 10% of your value <laughs> Dude, to see that OTC. That really did upset you, just the thought of it. <laughs> the thought the thought of not, of, the the, the thought of not being on the clock in a draft. The thought, <laughs> like the thought yeah. of like you open up your rookie draft in May <laughs> and you don't pick until the 302 and you're just like, I've never felt worse than getting these yeah. emails right now of everyone else in my league picking and I... You're you are you are Squidward looking out the window at Patrick and SpongeBob <laughs> playing and being like, you know, I'm just locked yeah. in here. There's nothing I can do. You're we, you're we, the meme at the party where you're like, they don't know that I'm projected to score 180 <laughs> points for week one. <laughs> it's true. No one cares about that because you're your players no are a little does. too old. <laughs> they don't know that Josh Jacobs will score 18 points per game this year, but I can't trade him for Tank Bigsby. No, you can't, dude. You would and get rejected so fast in May. You would get rejected so fast on Josh Jacobs for Tanks Bigsby in any of these industry leagues. Like people would, people would. Oh, it would be it would be an immediate reject. Immediate. Yeah, it's it's. it's I don't know. This time of year, like, yeah, this time of year, people actually start looking at their rosters, and it's like, oh, I do need an RB two. Uh, yeah. So probably and give it give it two more weeks because that's when. That's when everyone's drafting their actual fantasy teams, and then they'll pull right. up their dynasty roster, and they're like, "Huh? <laughs> like, wh- why did I think this was an amazing roster yeah. again? I don't yeah. have any starters." Oh, it's like it, you can completely change, like even just the way you talk and trade. Like the other day, like I caught myself doing it, not even consciously, where I was like trying to manipulate it. I just caught myself being like, "Well, Calvin really goes ahead of Brees Hall on underdog right now," so. <laughs> you just you, you really do. Uh so I, I think yeah, this is a good time. If you have those, if you have the teams that you're like kind of low value, like might wanna might want to tank, this would be a good time to test the waters and see if you could sell off mm-hmm. some of those veterans. And then 
you know, especially if there are players that you really want to target, just because you think they're underpriced, like this might be your last chance saloon at that, especially for, for younger players. Because once you get into the season, like picks are pretty available because people remember that injuries exist and they need to fill out their lineups. Uh, and also like veterans are really available in season because you get a lot of teams that are like trying to sell off and nobody wants their veterans and they're feeling the time crunch. But it's harder to make like market-based buys if you're just like, I think Brandon Ayuk is around undervalued and it's week seven. It's like, you know, teams are like, yeah, but I need him now. <laughs> you see them in my lineup. Right, so right. this is probably your last chance if you just want to buy some undervalued guys. And it's definitely uh, a good time to sell veterans if you're in a position to do so. I think this is also a time to move off of risky long-term assets. Like we talked Justin Fields, you know, yeah. if everyone can sit in May and go, yeah, Fields is a lot more risky than, you know, Trevor Lawrence or whatever, because it's a lot harder to do that. If he rips off 27 points in week one or whatever. It, it, and like, you know, you don't even necessarily need to wait until the season begins because if you wait until everyone's been drafting, Justin Fields, like two rounds ahead, or you know, maybe a round ahead of uh Trevor Lawrence in all these best ball drafts or you know, the regular mm -hmm. drafts. It's like how many times if someone's clicked Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence, like you know, 20 times or 150 times or 400 times or whatever, you know, depending on how sick you are, yeah, then you're gonna be much more inclined when an offer shows up in your inbox of you know here's Justin Fields, you give Trevor Lawrence or whatever yeah. to make that swap. Like it just, it's just so natural, you know, it's just such a natural, like we see NFL teams do this, right. NFL teams try to win the off season. You know, they got yeah. all excited about like, Oh, we got all the best, like <laughs> cast off free agents. We're going to be, we crushed it. It's like, sometimes it's like, are they even trying, do they even think this will translate to wins or it's just like, I look good now. Look at me. I look so good. There's definitely that, that bias that creeps in. For sure. Um, it's also, I think you mentioned before about doing trades at your evaluations versus the market. Now would be the time to, to do that even more, right? Like it's, you mentioned Justin Fields is a good one. Like Justin Fields, April, it's like, well, I'm in no rush to trade Justin Fields. Like nothing is really going to change his market value most likely for the next four months. If I can't get his ADP value, which I think is inefficient, I'm just going to hold him. Now, it might be a time where like, you know, once he starts playing games, like there's no more anchoring effect to the fact that he has the 110 ADP in startups, right? So like if you if you think that he is worth less than that, and there's something you can get that is less than his market value, but more than what you think he should be worth, the closer you get to the season, the more I'd be inclined to take that deal because like at some point everything goes out the window once the game starts, and you know maybe he retains, maybe he goes up, maybe he goes down, but you can no longer say like, well, I'm just going to wait until I get his market value because his market value will, will then be a reflection of what he does on the field. I'm going to kind of change subjects here and go to a, a few different questions, uh, two, basically two questions on kind of format. And then we could just kind of have a general discussion here. We only have about 10 minutes left before I've got to get out of here, but um, I know the, uh, so, so one question about best ball versus managed leagues. And the, the example here is I traded away Saquon in a best ball league where I'm competing for Josh Jacobs and Damian Pierce. I think the floor ceiling combo of wow. those two assets uh, are closer to the middle of the running. Uh, get lost. But I think basically he's saying he's spreading out the injury risk across his roster, generally smoothing out the variance of how my roster grows. Um, and basically using that as like a best ball move. Like that was a best ball move. Yeah. Um, I probably might even do that in manage, but I do think. I for sure managed. Yeah. yeah. But just the general concept of 
you know, trying to spread out assets and accumulate depth in best ball versus managed. And then there's also an FFPC question. Now, if you're not familiar with the FFPC dynasty leagues, they cut down to, I believe 14, 16, 16. Okay. 16. Um, man, you can only keep 16 players on your roster and it includes a defense and a kicker in, in a lot of these leagues, not, uh, it's, the it's, it's a, don't have those, but it's a hard format. It's a hard, it's borderline, not dynasty. Yeah, I'm really, right. I'm really like bad at it. Between because, a dynasty and a keeper. Yeah, I'm, I'm really bad at it because I'm like, oh, dude, it's like I got such a sick roster. Like my wide receiver eight is so good, and then I'm like, oh, you, you, you'll you never, cut it, it yeah, you got to cut him, yeah, um, and you can't trade him for anything because everyone knows you got to cut him. Yeah. So just sort of like the we talk about in the dynasty, you know, fantasy football industry, right? FFPC, where you cut down to 14 skill players in some of these leagues versus 30 roster best ball super flex. And we talk about those two formats like they're the same thing sometimes. You know, we don't always check. So, like, as we move from the spectrum of FFPC, not the tri-flex leagues, the ones where you actually have to have the kicker and D, to the deep best ball leagues, like, how does that kind of shift strategy elements for you guys? I mean, I want to have in these best ball leagues that you and I are in, I want to have 30 guys. I expect to score points and I will I will make trades to do that. You know, I hold on to less of these developmental guys. So like great example, Daenerik Prince, I've got in a lot of my managed leagues that are really deep um, because I think he is like a good asset worth having. I think his year one upside is pretty low, even relative to what Pacheco did last year. I don't really, I I think he probably will stick on the chiefs roster and have a chance to play some, but in a best ball league, I'm like, what am I, am I getting 50 points from him in a good year? Like maybe, like maybe zero uh, developmental tight ends are actually the, the great example of this where it's like, how, how many leagues do you have Donald Parham in? How many leagues, did, you know, uh, have you held? Uh, how many leagues did you hold Ladarius Green forever? So many. Donnie Smith is going to be. This will time. be Kyle and Grafton's breakout year, I guarantee. Sure. It, yes. Right. So in a managed league where it's like, you know, he's probably worth a roster spot. He's got some upside. Maybe if three injuries happen ahead of him, he plays. But you just would rather have Kate Otten or Hunter Henry in best ball by like a lot, actually, by by like quite a bit. Yeah. You know, it's it's very different. Uh, yeah, I think that the the depth is the obvious thing, right? If you just want to have more depth in a best ball league. I do think there's a few other things that go a little bit under the radar. Um, one is that I'm more inclined to roster high-end running backs because if you just think about how you want to allocate your roster slot. Like mm-hmm. in a managed league, I usually only want about two to three more wide receivers than my wide receivers plus my flex spots because ideally I'm starting the same ones virtually every week. I want a little bit of injury assurance. And then I probably want to have like a few that are more prospects, right? Yeah. But I don't really want to roster like a bunch of like Sterling Shepard times, no. right? I just want to allocate all of those spots to running backs. So I don't want to spend that much value at running back. And I want to just have a full smorgasbord of contingent value handcuff backs that I can just churn into my lineup over the course of the season. In best ball, like you don't really want to have, you know, 10 roster spots designated to the Keontae Ingram extended universe. Like most weeks, those are just a total dead spot for you that could be filled by a Richie James or a Justin Watson 
or a Noah Brown that actually has the opportunity to enter your lineup more frequently. So just by nature of that, I'm more inclined to roster high-end running backs so that I can allocate less roster spots to running backs because I actually want to have a bunch of shitty wide receivers on my bench that can rotate in and fill those flex spots. Yeah, you want you want Darius Slayton, you want uh exactly. you know you want you want these guys. Yeah. Like I would never roster Alan Lazard in a managed dynasty league. Like I just wouldn't roster him. I'd literally just rather have a blank roster spot. But in a best ball league it's 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 totally reasonable to roster Alan Lazard. Um I also care a lot more about youth in a best ball format. You just think about the utility of an older player. Like when you're in a man's format, okay, let's say that Devontae Adams has two seasons left at peak capacity in the NFL. Like in a man's format, I'm starting him for 34 games if he stays healthy in those two seasons. I'm starting him every single week. When you zoom out to best ball, the replacement level becomes higher because you no longer have to pin the tail on the wide receiver four that scores that week. You just automatically get them. And so Devontae Adams isn't going to enter your lineup every single week, right? Especially you look at like a Mike Evans or a Tyler Lockett, like the benefit of that player and managed is like, I can just set them in my flex every single week, way less valuable in a best ball format where you're, you're actually not relying on them every week and you can hodgepodge together with players who don't occupy any value. And then the last thing is, is you probably don't want to have a massive surplus of picks in best ball, right? Like one of the nice things in managed leagues, like once you have enough players that are going to form your starting lineup, anything else is diminishing returns. Like you're just risking losing value. And I'd rather store the excess into picks hmm. in best ball, like every roster spot matters. So I'm way more inclined to do what you're mentioning with Sean Spiegel, where it's like, I want all of my value to be able to potentially contribute to my lineup in a way that it just functionally can't manage. So best ball, I, I want my picks not to have a big surplus. I want it into my lineup. Um, Especially if you're talking about the FFPC, like I'm always trying to do the you know two for one consolidation, two for one. Oh yeah, if you can get and yeah, and then and 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 always add picks, right? Because at least those don't take up roster spots. So it's like I want to have right. excess picks and consolidation, best ball spread, not as many picks. Yeah, what's the value of a roster spot? And it goes up the smaller the league gets, right? If in an FFPC league, the value of a roster spot, simply clearing a roster spot in a trade, becomes like like a third round pick. <laughs> like if I can get a roster spot out of this, it's like you gave me a third round pick because they're, you know, because I don't have to cut someone. So what's the value of roster spot? What's available on waivers, right? You can take on more risk in these FFPC leagues because you can go get some guys off of waivers, you know, that are actually going to like score some points for you. So you can swing for the fences. You can take on more risky player archetypes. You can, you can be more running back heavy. You can afford to bleed more value off of your roster because everyone's bleeding value off the roster. Mm -hmm. They're all having to cut. It's so hard to actually capture the value and put it into assets that you're storing. So you kind of just know it's going to be a bit more of a free for all here. I'm going to, I'm going to try to one way that I can, that I can uh, store some of that value is to hit a home run, you know, and get a, a, a running back who's absolutely a star. And it's even more valuable in that type of league than he would be in that best ball type of league. Um, that's, that's, you know, where depth is so important. So taking bigger swings, I think is another thing you can do in those FFPCs versus I'll, I'll sometimes play it a little safer um, and play it more for depth and everything in, in the best ball to close out here. Let's see if we can squeeze out squeeze in three dynasty startup questions. Um, and then just get some general thoughts on, on, uh, on startups. So new dynasty player here, very general question. Um, and the answer might be play the board, but generally when you're in a startup, do you aim to compete year one or are you willing to play the long game and tank immediately? Uh, 
another one here. Differences between your rankings. I can answer and- that. I can answer okay, that ahead. very quickly. Read the room. If you're playing with yeah. a bunch of fucking virgins who want to compete in 2027, mm-hmm. draft all the olds. If you're playing with a bunch of people who are like drafting Derrick Henry in the second round because they, they think it's just like redraft, you do, you do the opposite. You, you just have to read the room. There's no way to prescribe an optimal strategy either way. Yeah, you have to read Robert the room, but Roth I would pick a path. Of dynasty. You, you take the road less traveled by and that will make all the difference. But but commit to a commit to a path. I think some of the ones I've screwed up where I was like, I'll just like draft this I'll team do, and I'll see just, how it goes. I'll just vibe. Yeah, don't don't yeah, do don't that. Vibe. Don't do that. Don't you don't can take, vibe don't it first. Keen, don't take Keenan Allen if you have Brees Hall, right? Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, I I'll I'll defend vibing. I, I think like going all in off the startup is a horrendous strategy. Yeah, don't um, I think yeah, you're one tanking. Different. I think you're one tanking is a totally viable strategy. Um, it's the most fun. And if I think one tanking is the most fun. Yeah, I think that's totally viable. And and I think that vibing is is viable. Like I think you probably a lot of times in startups, like I'll start building fairly young and I'll want to add, you know, a future first if I can. And then if I think I'm really cranking the startup quite well and there aren't teams that are like falling all over themselves to go all in, I'll round out my roster by taking a lot of vets late and, and position myself to compete right away. And if I don't, then I'll just keep taking young players or I'll just keep trading out for future picks. But like, I, I don't think I would ever want to put myself in a position where my startup is like, you know, just Travis Kelsey, Cooper Cup, Christian McCaffrey. Like, I just think that's just a death wish. So I yeah. think even if you are trying to compete year one, I, I don't think that means you have to take like every single old player. So here's, I'll answer. So this is a question, kind of my next thought goes to this. What do you see as the advantages and disadvantages of trading up or back within the early rounds of a Superflex startup? So my thing there would be, if you're trying to win now, try to win through depth and trade back and try to get pieces, a bunch of pieces that are, you know, on the younger side, but are going to be somewhat productive or rookies that you expect to contribute right away. Um, you know, build build through depth, spread out your risk a little bit, but you're still trying to win, you know, as opposed to, and you're, you're trading back. So you're potentially accumulating additional value. Um, you know, someone's got to get this guy. They might be willing to overpay a little bit. So you're, you're, you're moving back, you're accumulating, you're getting that depth. Um, but you're also in a position where, you know, you're not necessarily punting the first year. You, you also got to know, you're going to have team value. You also got to know your league with this though. Like these That's industry true. leagues, these virgin leagues, everyone we wants play to trade in. back. Everyone wants to trade down. No one wants to trade up. But again, I'm in a couple leagues with like just my real life buddies who like football. We did a dynasty startup last year and I traded down the whole time. Cause everyone was like, right. literally like, Oh, I want this guy. I want to trade up for this guy. So I'm like, okay, sure. Whatever. I don't care. You know? But so, but I would probably go the other. I haven't done a startup, and uh, that was the only startup I did last off season. If I did an industry one now, or like a virgin one now, I would trade up. I'd be like, oh, I, I just am going to get like six really yeah. good players that I like, and then just vibe. Yeah, it's once again, it's a read the room situation. But I tend to agree when I'm if I'm playing with like you know people who are not playing Dynasty very seriously or not listening to this podcast, I, I totally agree. I'm trading down. Part, part of that is just because I think the market's going to be less efficient. So players you don't normally see fall are going to fall and you, you want to have more opportunities to catch fallers. But yeah, when I'm playing with the, when I'm playing in the Virgin Islands, um, I, I definitely am trading up. And ideally what I'm doing is I'm trading up into the first round. I'm securing both of my elite starting quarterbacks. And then I'm trading back or out and then I'm just hammering, like, 
olds. And then I'm just going to kind of recycle my running backs and wide receivers year over year within the framework. Like probably one of my most successful startups from last year. I, I mean, part of it's just getting lucky on the picks, but like I took Lamar Jackson, I traded up, I got Jamar Chase. I traded up again and I got Jalen Hurts in the second round. And I didn't pick again until like the eighth round. And then I just took like an array of bolts. Like I did like Lockett, Cooks, Hopkins, whatever. I ended up trading. Um, I ended up hitting on a couple other younger guys trading for Travis Kelsey. And it's like, I'll have Lamar Hurts chase forever. And then I'll just have like a never ending conveyor belt of olds that'll hopefully I'll backfill with draft picks over time. But like, hopefully that, that cluster of chase Hurts and, and Lamar will like keep me competitive for eternity. So I would say, um, this is kind of answers one final question. I do think startups are more of kind of a, an IKB go get your guys type of environment. I wouldn't be like yeah. playing the market with, with my startups so much. I, I think you're, you're trying to accomplish a goal. Um, and so therefore I think that the player archetypes matter a ton, but we, we got to get out of here. Thanks uh, to you guys for, for this dynasty series that we were able to do. This is a lot of fun. Um, we should do something going forward with these dynasty rankings with, with doing additional podcast episodes, maybe in season, but uh, thanks well, whenever you guys. we do an update to the ranks, we should just come on and do a little pod. A hundred percent. Honestly, yeah. we'll probably do the pod and then <laughs> do the updates. Then to the the rankings update. if I know, That's if probably I know a better it. order. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, tell the people about what you guys got going on uh, this summer. Tank stuff. Sports grid, fantasy football podcast, take cast, watch <clears throat> sports grid TV. My show, Fantasy Sports Day, is on at 8 a.m. Uh, Central Time, 9 a.m. That That's not right. It's the other way around. 7 a.m. No, fuck, it is right. 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Saturday mornings on Sports Grid. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can find my work up on Thinking About Thinking. Uh, I launched yesterday the start of the Hitchhiker's Guide to Running Back, which uh, is a column that I'm taking over from the Worker Player Profile last year, but very new format. Um, and we're starting up all of our off-season Hitchhiker's Guide posts, which will take me through August. Every running back with a ADP in the seventh round or later will be touched on in detail. That even includes a paragraph devoted to Trey Sermon, a paragraph devoted to Eno Benjamin. Uh, we went we went through a 6,700-word deep dive on the Eagles and Saints backfields. Uh, after finishing this, I'm going to be writing up the Dolphins and the Bears. Um, so uh, lots and lots of running back takes coming out of thinking about thinking all month long. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, Speaking of the I, had, I had a good, I had a good joke, and I couldn't even think of who. Oh, Tristan Ebner. Tristan Ebner. If you're writing about Tristan Ebner, Tristan Ebner, you may be in the Virgin Islands. I'm, I'm going to be writing about Travis Homer, but I'm only going to just post a uh, link of fan tweets. Like, I'm not going to provide any of my own thoughts. I'm he's, just gonna, he's, like, so I'm gonna, he's so committed. He's so committed. Sam when, when Travis Homer, when Travis Homer catches a 17 yard swing pass and runs it in for a touchdown in week one, Sam Sherman is going to be unbearable. I'm where's I'm, your, where's your Roshan my... God now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're hundred percent right. I mean, um, the, the funny thing is that I think Sam's right about the Homer thing, but I think his conclusion is totally wrong. Like if, if, if the conclusion is that there's a three-man backfield that's actually a two-man backfield because there's going to be a non-playable character active on game days, that's, like, great for all three. Like, I would way rather right, draft take the all risk three that one then... of them is inactive on game days instead of getting four points per game, and then I get the other two splitting the backfield in two versus three. Like, that, that to yeah. me is, like, a, an attribute of the backfield. Take your lumps. You're going to miss once, but you're going to hit twice. Right. And, yeah, I, I agree. Um, all right, let's sign, everyone sign up for Legendary Upside at legendaryupside.com. 
Uh, got your best ball ranks covered. Uh, and uh, got another article out this morning. Going to have an article out for you uh, on tight ends very soon as well. But thanks for, for checking us out. It's been a lot of fun. And we will be back at some point to talk more Dynasty. Uh, until then, see you later.